we know Skynet is coming. It's just a matter of when, and we see clues <laughs> all the time. A joke aside, that's why I say I went to data science so that that machines, when the machines take over the world, they look back upon me with fondness. Welcome to AV Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and hey, anything else I'm that Alan. comes to mind. I'm now, Brent. on and we with the show. guest here, Kirk. Introduce yourself. Hey, yeah, Kirk Markle, founder, CEO, Data. Very cool. Thanks for coming on the AB Testing Podcast and hanging out with Brent and I. I didn't bring a beer. I had a bottle of wine here. And, and there's a reference there. Someone once told us that our podcast sounded like a couple guys sitting around having a beer talking about software. And... Uh, <laughs> I think we've only had a drink like once. It's when I left Microsoft. <laughs> we did my last episode when I was there. So, oh, it's all right. We kind of hang out. And also we got some feedback uh, when we did our last, maybe it was our last guest on the show. Somebody said, the interviewers talk too much, but we're not really interviewers. We're just all going to hang out here for a while. That's our plan for today. So- yeah. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, you weren't expecting an interview, were you? I can go. He's it's it's Friday, so I'm, I'm he's he's listened to a few episodes of the podcast. He knows he's getting into, you know. He, yeah, so, all right, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you were a color, no. <laughs> I threatened to ask our last guest that too, because I don't have an answer for that. So not only uh, Kirk is I want to talk about what data and what unstructured data is and a little bit what unstruck does. We'll give you we'll give you some plug time, but you've also had quite a varied career going back. I think you may have started at Microsoft even before I did. Yeah, what was it? Uh, 94. Yeah, so you beat, beat me by a year and, and worked on some things I heard of. So go yep. ahead. I don't know if Brent uh, did the LinkedIn stalking that I did. So I, in addition to Blackbird, which was some, if I remember, it was some multimedia stuff for MSN. Yep. Way back in the early days of the internet. It was, yeah, pre-HTML, pre-web, <laughs> which is like, I mean, pretty interesting. So, I mean, those, those days were, were pretty crazy. Do you remember, and I think Brent started in 96. So it was like 94, 95, 96 when we started. Yeah, I, right? So started January 94. Oh, never mind. I'm wrong. For some reason, I thought I was there. I started before you. I am. I'm dumb. So I remember when we had to get special permission to have internet access from our desktop computers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I still remember when the first guy in the office got Wi-Fi. And it was like he had Wi-Fi in one of the the offices. It was like a whole big deal. Like, and I, I don't remember why he got access to it. But it was, yeah, he had, it was like the first thing, so... Yeah, and I had uh, oh, if you remember, we didn't even have TCP/IP. We had what was our internal protocol we used? Oh, NetBIOS, uh, or was that? Or was oh that, God, you know uh, what I'm talking about, right, Brent? No, not yeah. Net. No, it was it was Net something. He's he's absolutely right on that one. We had our own very noisy protocol we used ahead of. Yep. We had you know NetBuoy was what was. Oh yeah. Then it was was it Landman? Was that part of that whole? It stack could have been Landman. Was the thing that Mike? I you know what I'm talking about. There was a we had our own protocol. Like when you installed yeah. Windows, you had to go install this extra protocol off this server oh, somewhere man. so you could communicate. I, I can't remember what it was called. Just I forgot about it <laughs> till now. Uh, lost cause. But speaking of Wi-Fi, I remember also having a Windows CE device like in two year two thousand. And having the huge battery pack on the back where you could also put a PCMCIA Wi-Fi yeah. card in. Oh, my God. Yep. 
Yeah, I did some contracting for WinCE. At, like when I, I came back for a bit, when I was trying to get a startup going, and just did some contract on that team. And yeah, it was a it was a crazy code base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that w- it was fun. It was fun. I think in some ways that product just couldn't find its niche ahead of you know ahead of its time. Now there's embedded software everywhere, and everything has embedded software. But oh well, we made some stuff. So uh, uh, go ahead. I'm Brent. going crazy trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I remember losing weeks of my life, try, like literally weeks of my life, trying to get my damn new computer to get on the friggin' network. <laughs> and I started off at Microsoft te- uh, network testing on Win95, so I, oh, I, yeah. I I remember it, and uh, but I I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't miss those days. I honestly don't. <laughs> right, it, it trying to figure out how to install. OS Warp, uh, it's what uh, the oh, first yeah. version of NT came out, fifty freaking floppies, and then if you got one that had a bad sector, you had to yeah. hunt around it. I hated those days. All right, so here we, we are. So slow. Here <laughs> we are in the twenty first century, and uh, so uh, Kirk, you've done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, sort of found your way in the, you know. Not, in, not only unstruck today, but through some jobs with data and analytics. So what was your shift from, and also some product ownership. So you've been, uh, a little bit like, of everything, yeah. yeah, how, how has that been? Is it, if it, has it been interests, opportunities, a little bit of both? Like what's the, what's the story of your thought? Like, I don't want to give you the, the whole full biography here, but like, yeah. how, did, how did you get from A to B to C to D? Well, I think it's, it's actually interesting. I mean, so when I was, gosh, 14 or something like that, I was like, okay, I want to go to school for computer graphics. It was like right when that, I mean, was all coming out. And I actually started college really early at 16. And so, but I remember looking and I thought, I was like, oh, who has a computer graphics major? Because that was starting to be the thing and nobody really did. And I started to like look into computer science and, and things like that. And so I guess I always, I mean, thinking of that in the media sense, I always kind of started there kind of even, even when I was starting to think about computer science and in undergrad, I did I did a bit of computer graphics, but then when I got out, I ended up doing a, a, like a surprising number of almost things that are related to today. Like my one of my first jobs was um, it was I was working for the Army Corps of Engineers um, for the basically like doing um, oh no oh sorry no it was the uh, it was a, a Marine Corps contractor in D.C. and doing uh, laser discs of maps. For, for the Marines and doing basically plotting graphics on top of laser disc based maps. And so it's like crazy. I think that's almost kind of what we're doing today. Like our app that we have is using Mapbox and putting graphics on top of Mapbox. And so it's, if you look 30 years ago, I, I kind of, it kind of started there. So a zigzag path to get back to it, huh? Yeah. I mean, and I ended up um, doing, I was at a really interesting company. I was, I was living in DC for like five years and a company that did all image processing software. And so they were, um, I mean, they're still around, which is interesting. They're really like for a lot of medical use and different things. They do some really cool stuff. But I worked on a lot of file format parsers. And that that kind of common thread of like reading the header of a TIFF file, like I was doing that when I was 21. And so those are the kind of weird threads that are like still there. Like I'm still writing file parsers and dealing with like that kind of stuff. And, and uh, when I did my master's before Microsoft, I actually did, it was kind of, it was originally I was going to go from computer graphics and I kind of pivoted more to multimedia. Um, and my thesis is like basically the survey paper of like multimedia technologies, which is like 
really related to exactly what I'm still doing today. So that's why I think it's always been an interest, but then I always bounced into these jobs. Like even at Microsoft, I built the streaming audio control for, for Blackbird, which competed with real audio. And so that, that was kind of what I was working on. Uh, bringing back the memories. I remember real audio, but they're still around, right? Or maybe they yeah. finally went out of did, business. Did, did, did they, they buy do some, Napster or something? I can't, like I can't keep track. Something's yeah. there's something there. They bought somebody. Lots of memory ticklers today from the old days. <laughs> yeah. I, I was looking at the time and, and in a, in a prior life, I was the QA middle manager for, uh, media center and particularly the yep. AV stack. And I'm, yep. and I'm now wondering if we had a dependency on anything that you coded. Cause we, so I was in, I moved over to um, Microsoft research for like three and a half years. And so I was doing 3d virtual worlds for, for like, it was called the virtual worlds group. Um, and that, that was an incredible job. I mean, every, the people in that team were just rock stars. Like some are now VPs at Microsoft and like almost every of the devs and is now like a CTO somewhere to start a company. And so it was just one of those incredible teams. And the, uh, that was, I mean, just so ahead of its time. I mean, that was like around 96, 90, yeah, 96, 98 ish. And mm-hmm. you, I mean, that technology is like this whole metaverse concept and all that, like we were doing that 20 years ago. And it was direct, a lot of direct 3D. It was, I mean, network kind of multiplayer technologies across the network. And, um, but that was, I mean, that was honestly one of the best projects I've ever worked on. So yeah, I was in, I um, was a dev manager of Windows Media Player at the, like after that, or yeah, I guess Windows, yeah, Windows Media Player um, right before I left. And so that was, uh, that was pretty fun too. Yeah, I think we had a dependency on Windows Media Player and then uh, this other thing that I'm forgetting, oh, the media framework, uh, which, oh, yeah, yeah. which which cracked me up because it was, uh, the acronym, of course, was shortened to MF. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, good times, old times. I, I like the current times um, much better. Mm-hmm. So you had a focus on multimedia, right? And uh, if, if I go through your LinkedIn stock, then yeah. I go... All right, multimedia. Then he went to another multimedia company, like integrating <laughs> codecs and things like that. And that brings back painful memories. Streaming, and then suddenly, suddenly, VP of product development for Stats LLC. Now I'm starting yeah. to get uh, <laughs> getting really excited. Then that seemed to be like your pivot towards. More of a, like more, more of a, exactly. of a, a data as a value product by itself. Yeah. Well, I, um, what it was, so I had a, a video transcoding company for about ten years, and so that kind of sucked up all of my, like a lot of a lot of my my career. And then I sold it, and then that's where I kind of had to reinvent a little bit of like, okay, I want to get out of broadcast. I mean, I was in media entertainment for so long, and I ended up at General Motors. I mean, that's where they actually wanted somebody that had some video background and they had just bought Cruise and they wanted to build a data pipeline from the data, the LIDAR data, the video data, all that kind of stuff off that they were using, basically recording it um, for testing and get it in the hands of their data scientists. And that was, it just pulled together like all this, like a little bit of 3D that I'd done and the time series data and all this kind of stuff. And um, then I 
I mean, but the problem is GMs like working for the government and how quickly you can get stuff done. So I got a little bored and then got recruited up to Chicago for that job. And, uh, but I'm a, I'm a big baseball guy. So it was a cool, like working at a sports data company was, uh, was kind of a cool thing. And we were doing like a lot of, um, computer vision, um, doing like media, uh, search and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, then I, I did drone, like some drone analytics after that. Um, there was like an IOT digital signage job in the middle there. And so, yeah, I kind of had another sort of five, six years of just finding my way through VP CTO and CTO jobs at a bunch of places. And then I started another company. So one, one thing just as an aside, do you, you want to hear a question that will make uh, Alan instantly pass out? <laughs> so do you think the Mariners are going to get to 50, or 500 by all-star? By all-star? <laughs> Oh, it's going to be close. This has been a painful year. So we we, no, we Seattleites say that a lot. <laughs> Man, I remember I, I went to like thirty games the year they won a hundred and was it hundred eighteen yeah. games, hundred and fifteen, a lot of games in yeah. the, in the steroid years. Maybe who knows? Well, yeah, and, and and then have them. That was post. That was was Johnson still there then? I don't think so. But and I remember like I remember, gosh, going back to ninety five like. Yeah, we were in my office with the radio on, listening to those games at the end of the year. It was just, it was just a well, time. I, I got sucked into it, and in it's 95. it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to be a longtime baseball fan in Seattle. It oh, is tough. Man. No, I mean, I I was a Phillies fan growing up because I grew up in Pennsylvania, and then the I got I'd been in Canada for a couple of years, and then came down, and then just I kind of got whirl, into that whirlwind of '95, and I'd just been here about a year. And I've been a Mariners fan ever since, but it's, yeah, it's a painful life. <laughs> it is. Uh, so for me, so I'm more active, uh, more active, actively watching the Mariners. Right? It was actually for Father's Day, my, me and my son went out and he genetically picked up his favorite baseball team uh, being the Dodgers. <laughs> and, and we were there and he's like, dad, uh, you know, everything about every one of these players you haven't dodgers still your favorite team right dad and, and i'm like uh yes i just uh i just, just don't get to watch them as much as i do the yep. so l- let me add a quick rant before we before we go on so yeah. um i stopped paying for cable television three years ago i just got tired of of comcast still use them for their internet which is actually yeah. getting better i'm probably not so angry about it but uh, i don't watch a lot of live tv um so i'm okay um amazon has standards i'm a big soccer fan so i can get what i want like t-mobile gives me like free apple tv plus uh, mm-hmm. which is gonna have the mls next year so i'm excited about that but there's not even a streaming like root sports which has a monopoly on kraken yeah. And Mariners, there is no streaming option. You can only get it if you have Comcast cable. And I think, obviously, there's a partnership there. Like there, there's some, there's deals that I don't know about. But man, I would pay. I would I would pay dollars, like a good it's, chunk, it's just to have a reason. streaming root sports. Seems seems ridiculous. It's not there. Yeah, because I, I lived in LA for a bit. I was in Austin and I was in Chicago, and it was great because I wasn't getting blackout, so I could I could watch MLB TV. And then I come back here and I'm like, I'm a, like cut the cord too. And I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to watch games? Like, I don't want to have to just get TV just for the Mariners. I hear people use VPNs to solve that problem, but I, I wouldn't know personally. So. Of course not. Of course not. 
<laughs> and that's your answer. I'm sure you're sticking yeah, to. That is, yeah. that is exactly the answer. <laughs> you you had a follow up question. Then I want to change the subject because I'm curious about something. But go ahead, man. It's all you, Brent. Unless you forgot. Oh no, no, I'm ready to. I, I could go in and, and talk about the Mariners baseball. I can talk. Right? I can talk about the Mariners for the whole rest of the podcast. But and the the, 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 th- the three yeah. listeners we have are slowly like, nodding. Their yeah, yeah. No, I would. I'll just say one thing that I will would love to talk about, but will not, and that is what the hell was that last Angels Mariners game? Oh, the um, the brawl. Oh, the brawl. Yeah, and I'll just say, I'll just say, I think the Angels did that on purpose. Oh hell yeah! Um, yeah. And they were being all whiny, and and it won because they like their their managers out for ten weeks. Uh, you know, some secondhand starter pitcher is out. Who cares? But they basically took out uh three of our major players if I'm yeah, Crawford, J Rod, and I guess Winker. I mean, but he's been doing better. I mean, but yeah, it's I mean, but honestly, I've seen this happen in other seasons that sometimes this kind of thing fires up the team and it can change the season because we've been playing so poorly that lately that like this may actually set they i think i'm hoping the angels like screwed up that now they're going to light a fire under us and we have kind of a reason to like be pissed and actually do well and i think the mariners are just like capable but they have like just weird problems where they get in their own head and they just underperform classically (laughs) no yeah like the the fact that that we're leading the league in in um players abandoned on base yeah it's Something about our our um, percentage, the average with uh, bases loaded, is like historically low or something like that. It's like hard, and so it's stuff like that that is is just such a Mariners thing to do. Oh, All so right. then there's okay. then there's software. <laughs> let me um, let me attempt to put words in your mouth. Maybe I also you know you talked about crack and file formats and looking at headers and yeah. things, and I worked on. Uh, the Windows debugger for a while, and I got really into cracking the PE and looking inside there. I, I worked on GDI also, so yeah. I'm I'm one of the few people that actually in the world, maybe not in the world, that's, that's that's a little bit too pompous, but I know what's inside of a font file. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. and I and I know you know I know too much about that, and too much about how true type works, et cetera, et cetera. But kind of what you're doing today is you're taking, I mean, if we can, I let's go ahead and talk about Unstruck a little bit. It's just. Yeah. Uh, I did watch some of the videos and things like you are looking, you're grabbing data of any format and, and often. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in the, in the videos was videos or pictures, which have a known format where some metadata is there yeah. and then mm-hmm. adding some more, you know, enhancing that metadata so you can get more information and find more stuff. Is that, is, am I, am I assuming too much or is that kind of no, what you're, you're doing dead, there? You're dead on. I mean, and I think it's, there's always been this classic layer of there's always technical metadata as we call it in the files. I mean, it's, it's whatever's in the header of the file, the GPS location and your exif information from your iPhone, stuff like that. And so, I mean, this isn't that dissimilar than like um, Adobe Lightroom or your iPhoto or, or things like yeah. that. I mean, they're all, they're all doing that today. So what, what we're doing there isn't unique, but that's where you start from. And then, but the, the next part is we basically build a knowledge graph from that data. And so from the time, from the, geo, the geolocation, 
from maybe author metadata or other metadata that's in the file. Um, but then the second order of what we're doing is running ML on that data. And so we're starting with that technical metadata. We're then doing NLP on documents. We're doing object detection on images. We're doing audio transcription. And then we're kind of recursively like trying to, to figure out what the data is perceiving and then kind of keep spidering down from there. So that to me is, I mean, the, the first order is kind of what used to be called like media management. I mean, it's, sure. it's essentially what iPhoto is or that kind of thing. But for us, we're kind of taking that to the next step where it's like, okay, well, what's the data perceiving? And then start to be able to search across that and do analytics on it. Um, and then the third order is what we want to get to is really um, creating inferences between entities and start looking at, oh, you have a cluster of this kind of thing over here, or we can auto do auto suggestion of, hey, well, these other images look similar and they had all these tags. Here's a bunch of images over here that probably might be tagged this. And so we could do those kind of things. So it's it kind of comes back to, I mean, data discovery is kind of the, the best term that's out there right now for a lot of what we're doing. Um, but it's really, I mean, it's it's semantic search in a way. And the hard part for us is we do, we're kind of full stack because we do ingestion, we do this data management, we do storage management and analytics. Um, so we kind of cover a lot of the different areas and terms that are out there. Um, and that's kind of been more of a marketing challenge for us is like, like, what are we when we do like so much? So I wonder if in something like this, you're, you're really pro providing a platform for people to yeah. understand, in your words, unstructured data, which is a good, good name for that. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if if the problems companies or teams or organizations may solve with that are unknown or surprising. I think mm -hmm. it's it's almost like the platform you're giving people, it's, uh, I would think it would enable additional innovation, which would be kind of cool to see. And that, that's really where I want to go with this is, I mean, it's going to open up a lot of greenfield. I mean, once you can access the data in that way, you can do really innovative analytics and process automation and all this kind of stuff. And what we're finding is it's a lot of people like don't know what they can do with their data. No. And so now they're, we're having to get over that hump of, hey, did you know you can search like geospatially over the last three years and find objects? And, I, and they're like, we just have this data sitting in SharePoint. Like we can search on file names. And I think we're that like, we're trying to get like, we're, we know we're a little early, but we're really trying to make a new thing that is, is hopefully going to unlock some stuff. Well, it, I'm going to repeat a comment and, and just a, a, a random thing. That's something I said before. Google makes a wonderful search engine for the internet, but somehow yeah. they can't get search to work well for Google Docs. I don't know if the right. teams just won't talk to each other, but something yeah. like this. And again, um, I everything I've seen is around multimedia, multimedia yeah. on your site. But when I think, actually, I can a couple of public stories I can tell. Uh, Microsoft, one cool thing, they build a search engine as well. I forget what it's called. Um, mm -hmm. Do they still make that, Brent? Is Bing still a thing? <laughs> oh, Brent, Brent's giving me two fingers to say yes. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, nobody, I mean, who would know? Who would know? I have to ask someone at Microsoft to know. So, so Bing's a thing. But one thing cool at Microsoft was because we have the search technology is there, they index their entire intranet, which makes mm -hmm. at least discovery possible. For a lot of other companies, and Google probably does the same thing. For Google a lot does. of, hmm? yeah, I'm, Google does. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I would bet money on it, even though I don't know their system. For a lot of companies, maybe like my company, the places to search are like the data is not only the data is unstructured and separated. 
So when you want to find out about something, um, you may have to search in multiple places to get to see mm-hmm. see if you can find answers that match your answers in one place. And it's it's interesting. So there there is some opportunity there as well, I would think. Well, I heard uh, Microsoft did this thing called Project Cortex that they were talking about for a while. And it was sounded sort of related to what we're doing, it was, but it was probably more like SharePoint SharePoint oriented or something like that. But I mean, just the layer of, yeah, I mean, we're still, we're not building the ML algorithms to do it. I mean, we're using cognitive services or other vendors or things like that. And so we're not competing in that sense, but we're competing in the a semantic layer for that data and just providing a really good, I mean, essentially middleware platform, like a PaaS um, for that. Yeah, for I think as teams, yeah. as companies collect more and more data and go through this this growth of data maturity, okay, data's good, we need to collect it. Then they collect so much and they don't know what mm-hmm. to do with it. And Brent has a highly technical term to describe this phenomenon when there's a massive amount of data, but you have no idea what to do with it. I believe it's called data puke. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So data puke is when you have a massive amount of data and you build a dashboard to to try to to manually communicate every aspect of it you could. <laughs> yeah. You do, yeah. So so imagine so imagine your worst nightmare of a Power BI dashboard with with like 50 different pie charts and graphs yeah, yeah. and you look at it and you, and I look at it and it makes me want to puke. It's essentially, they don't know what they're looking for. So they show and, yeah. and so they're, they're literally throwing all of the data up on the screen and hope they see something. Okay. And honestly, they don't know how to, I mean, they don't know what they're looking for, but they don't know how to figure out what they're looking for. So mm-hmm. often they kind of stall there. Yeah. And I would think that, Kirk, what you're building uh, maybe could help with that for some companies. Like we have all this data. We don't know how to look at it. Maybe you can get them over a hump. And that's what we're hoping to do is, I mean, there's, there's that first level of, Hey, we can visualize it and they can search, but then it's, how do you glean one little thread that actually they could like end up in a trouble ticket? I mean, or something like that. Or, I mean, it's like something that's actionable from that. And so we're, I mean, that's where we want to get to is where hopefully we can, I mean, really infer, start inferring some information that they can they can really find material use of. But well the initial use cases, I mean the value is honestly just time and, and resources. I mean they spend so much time manually dealing with these files, even if they're just like taking pictures of a maintenance yard on their iPhone. Like if we can save them an hour a day of just screwing around with these files, trying to find things, like there's immediate ROI. Now I I in terms of so, so I am now a data scientist, hmm. and and within the within the culture uh, of the team, I'll say like the PM culture hasn't really advanced sufficiently enough to deal with with data, hmm. right? Um, uh, I'll tell you, like a uh, a PM came to me a few months ago, and they said, Brent, I have some exciting news. And I've, I, of course, like exciting news. And I said, what? He's like, I am going to be able to argue for another 10 heads for your team. And uh, uh, I, I, I guess everyone at Microsoft that's either in a developer or a data science role, we're all empire builders, apparently. <laughs> Right, because I'm just like, okay, that 
what do you want? I immediately went to Spidey, <laughs> Spidey Sense Tingly. Yeah. And and what he asked for is like, okay, but if if you if you accept the these 10 heads, this is what you're setting them up for. I I want you to build a, an old school curated primary key, you know, uh, you can think of it as a type one data warehouse mm -hmm. for all the customer data for the entire PM org, maintain our ETL pipelines and our power BIs. Uh, this this was only the second time I had interacted with this PM, so I I, I definitely informed them in a diplomatic way uh, that no I was not interested in this wonderful <laughs> opportunity, <laughs> right? Well, I mean it's a classic. It's a, it brings up a big thing of I mean data engineering versus data science and how. I mean, there's such a, I mean, so much of what is just data engineering gets dumped on data scientists and, yes. or you don't have what you need. And so it's, I mean, it's, you're always waiting on the data and it's such a, I mean, it's such a classic problem these days. And that's why, I mean, there are a lot of companies that are trying to help the data engineering side to let you do your work. And so, so, so I now, so I left QA, went to Dev and Bing and in my time in Bing. Uh, that's what the search engine's called. Shoot. Thanks. <laughs> You're number one, Alan. You're number one. Uh, but my time in Bing completely blew my mind in terms of like the types of things they can do with data. And, and I went back to school, pursued the data science degree. Mm -hmm. Now, I honestly believe, and, and I've, I've shared this with my team, I believe we're at the beginning of the end of the, 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 the era of the data science sorcerer. Mm. Right, where where data science is really becoming more and more API driven, right? Yeah. If if I can point unstruck at a bunch of reference storage locations and say yeah. go, it's, and it, and it gets ninety percent the way there, then you know what? Yeah. That saved me a crap ton of time. It's I mean, and that's kind of what we're I mean we're building on top of the commoditization of a lot of the ML. And that's really what, I mean, our big assumption is, look, I mean, there's going to be a million models out there. There's going to be low code, no code tools to build them. Mm -hmm. Other great partners we can work with. Um, I mean, it's a, like, even on just a personal note, like we had a head of data science and started realizing like, we kind of didn't need that role because the partners that we had really filled in a lot of what was needed for, for us. And so we were, I mean, and so it was kind of a, it was a hard thing to do, but we basically decided just to sunset that role and the, where we're heading is now it's more just ML integrations. We are adding in like a auto ML, some auto ML capabilities to like, okay, here you go annotate your data in our UI. We'll do all the easy button stuff, like augment it, train it, deploy it, just using Azure auto ML and give it back to you. And just for like identifying things in pictures, but that's just an API thing. I mean, and for me, I'm not a data science at all. And I mean, I don't even know how to code Python hardly at all. And so it's like, I'm I'm still like doing all this stuff in C Sharp and able to do like real leading edge ML just with all these tools and platforms, so. Yeah, no, the, 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 only, the only challenge right now, I would say in today's world on, on the integration, most of it is API calls it, it but in today's world, it's, it's analyzing the output where it needs where it needs some some yep. data whispering. But I think one of the key things that I think you're tapping into 
uh, and I suspect you'll continue to tap into. When I go and look at Unstruck, mm-hmm. right, I, I see you pivoting around, hey, we're going to make a big portion of your data engineering problems go away, which is, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Uh, I have many of them. And I would love for someone to come in and say, we will make them go away and you won't have to wait 18,000 months in order for it to land and, and we'll adapt and things like that. But really the industry, as I see it, is, is, in, um, is in a space called uh, knowledge management. Mm-hmm. Data is not really what's important. Transforming that data into actionable knowledge is where it's at and simplifying it in a way that the like the the human beings can consume mm-hmm. that's where i see it's happening you're, in- you're dead on yeah i mean i i mean that's it's really funny you say that because that i mean it, and this is all marketing problems it's i mean if we say that as a company like a lot of people think oh you're just doing document management you're your documentum you're somebody like that and um but we're trying to basically build a holistic knowledge management system that's multimedia and that's really where, I mean, so we started with this unstructured data term that we've kind of leaned into, but the knowledge management is really where the future is. And we actually, we just added document and email support, um, or at least we, we had documents, we added email support and we added like PI detection and a lot more NLP because we're, what we're finding is as customers, I thought more document management was more of a solved solution, but they are, what people we're talking to actually have a lot of issues that they have a Google-ish kind of search they can do, but they don't have that semantic search. Yeah. Um, for a lot of these folks, but they also want to then be like, well, how do I correlate that to a CAD drawing or an image or something like that? And I think it's, yeah, I mean, knowledge management, I've heard um, B- uh, Bob Muglia, I an mean, ex-Microsoft and Snowflake guy, um, who I, I think I, I actually used to work under his org when I was there, but I, so I did, heard it. Did so, he, did, he, so did I. He was yeah, yeah. Up, up until the current executive I worked for, he was my favorite executive to ever work for. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I I didn't know him well, but I I, I knew knew him, I mean a decent bit there, and I've heard him on a podcast, and he is now starting to really talk this knowledge management solution, and is um it's I think he really gets it and sees like kind of where the next generation is, and that's I mean literally what we're trying to do is is tackle that kind of problem that I, I hear him kind of banging the drum on now. Yeah, I haven't. So you spent five years at, and he's at Rational AI. Interesting. Yeah, so Rational tangent, but I just was at a conference and uh, met some of the rational people and they're doing some really interesting knowledge graph stuff for, um, I think like the United Nations and stuff like that. Um, but they're not doing, at least from what they said quickly, is they're not doing a lot of unstructured data, like media data. And so um, I actually have a meeting with them next week to like, I think there's some really cool stuff that we can do with them. Right. If, if you're able to, to, to with high confidence, the only, the only thing I'd be concerned so I do a lot of NLP. I do a lot of time series stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only thing would be concerned around is the places where you might say do, do a semantic auto tagging, mm-hmm. making sure that that is stable over time and that the NLP doesn't suddenly uh, later on decide, oh, this is now a different tag. Yeah. Right. Uh- that's a really important thing. I mean, it, like we're sort of have built in kind of ensembling where we can pull in models from different like primer and cognitive services and a bunch of different ones and sort of roll them up. And then one of the big things we're looking at is like, how do people, how are people want to hand, uh, going to handle disambiguation? Like, because that's going to really be one of the things of like, oh, is this, 
an asset that they've seen in their SAP database, or is this some other random term that looks like it or is pretty similar? And so those are the I think those are going to be a lot of the other pain points we're going to have to start leaning into more is to make that tagging work really well is to figure out like how we can offer this integration to the users in an easy way. So Alan, I, I, I could completely start totally data science geeking out now. No, go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I like it, what Kirk's talking about, right? I, I am deep in the weeds in some really hard topic modeling problems. Mm-hmm. We're doing topic modeling. Oh, in- wait, is topic modeling, are those the models that model clothes for hot topic? Is that, I'm... Not, yeah, not hot topic models. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry, I was confused. Go on. <laughs> uh yeah and it certainly hot hot topic would not be coming to me for any modeling gig damn alan you <laughs> asshole you're talking about topic yeah. modeling topic modeling you're, you're you're neck deep in topic modeling he's like, he's like visualizing a mall with hot topic in it right now and he can't get out of it so. yeah though it, it, and, and he and he's in the glass in front trying to figure out how looking we should at stand. myself in the mirror and like uh alan why didn't you put me here and we're doing it against short texts, which is extremely hard and, and really relies on sort of probabilistic semantic uh, understanding. It, it's a fun, I mean, if it were easy, it wouldn't be fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely see kind of where you're going and then mixing multimedia types and, and kind of bringing it together. Yeah, I, I suspect you and rational um i don't know i mean i don't know what your goal is and you're the ceo here right <laughs> but it, it it almost seems like a a, a match made in heaven in some regards because if you can clean up the data such that it's structured mm-hmm. and then hand it off to them yeah then there's an end-to-end story that would i think, would, it, I, think it, yeah. I mean i actually have a meeting with um i think next week or the week after really to kind of talk because I listened to a talk they gave and I was like, this is super cool. Like, and it looks really complimentary. And so I, I, I just like, they're one of the few um, that kind of talk about knowledge management in that way. Um, data.world is another one um, that's out there that they're kind of in this knowledge data catalog space. Um, but it's, I, I think it's good because I'm starting to see more of these companies pop up and people are talking the talk, like Muglia is talking the talk. And so I think we're positioned right, but it's just the classic, like, it's going to take a little time for this market to come to come to bear. So, no, I, I, and I agree. I think, right. You said you, uh, you mentioned you listened to uh, our the podcast. We spent a lot of time uh, talking about, talking about the testing culture mm-hmm. shifts. Right. And yep. like, uh, as an example, like how many, how many STEs do you employ? Um, one and a half <laughs> and the half is my son who's 21 and this is, <laughs> okay. it's, it's his first job, but he's actually doing QA automation, um, right now. So, okay. uh, yeah, so I call it, I call him that a half. And somehow your company has survived. We actually are firm believers in, in, in that sort of transformation, right? And we, we now kind of observe that that's kind of the standard practice that, that if you, if you realize how to how to ship software in the current world, you kind of don't need to have specialists uh, to do this, right? Yeah. Now, now mapping over to the data space, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be the, the, the leading edge, which I think you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the question is going to be is how quickly does the does the the main group really realize you know suddenly click and realize oh my god those companies that are doing ex excellent knowledge management are are actually much faster at being able to target what's critical to to move their business forward i spent a lot of my time on like customer retention and churn problems hmm. and and having having clean crisp uh data would would rapidly accelerate that yeah rapidly it would be a competitive edge absolutely and i see when like when we've done some of the ML projects, I mean, one of the hardest problems was just getting good data to train on. I mean, and we're, because we're trying to like, we have drone imagery, we have this, we're like, I bought a drone and I'm like, oh man, but like where around Seattle can I fly a drone and actually fly over something interesting that we would want to detect. And it's just that mundane stuff of like, how do I even get the, like the, I can run auto ML in an hour, <laughs> but how do I get a good set of data to even start with? And so they're, they're just all these upstream problems that, I mean, in the data world that, that are just, I mean, way harder than writing tests to test your UI and react. I mean, it's just a, it's a totally different beast. There's a, I have a question for, I mean, I, I'm Alan. I come, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> you're talking about this. It, it brought something to mind. Um, one of the things I've seen happen, fortunately, not a lot, but sometimes when you have a a complex ML system looking over a large amount of data, a bug can be, a bug in the ML or in the data can be pretty disastrous and create yeah. um, poison data and, and just screw up a bunch of your stuff. One, I'm curious for both of you, because I, I, I just know observationally, I don't work in, although I do like to say that I actually managed one of the first data science teams at Microsoft just long enough for me to hire someone who knew what the hell they were doing. So that's my <laughs> claim to fame. When I observe this this data these data poisoning phenomena at you know in the industry like these little maybe not little but these bugs that screw up all your all your good hard work mm -hmm. uh, in practice because you guys work with this stuff a lot more how often does that happen and how recoverable is it like just this is a little a bit off the blue but it, it piqued my curiosity and and I and because I don't know the answer and I don't know how to Google for that. I mean, you start to see there's these companies doing they call it data um, it's like data quality data observability yeah yeah and that's what I think like then then what is what is data the QA yeah. the testing thing maybe think like what is data quality I'm gonna shut up go on yeah I think it's interesting. I've been listening to some uh, like podcasts and this have where it's it's like hey here's a we get this report and it's supposed to be updated every 15 minutes the system realizes it has to be updated in three hours or whatever and so they want to auto trigger and kind of then track the lineage of that upstream to, to figure that out. And for us, it could be, yeah, I mean, we're using a lot of third-party models. I mean, some, I mean, and we don't even own them. I mean, we're not even building them. It's like, what if my cognitive services releases a bad model that stops identifying vehicles or something? And so for those two weeks that we, our customers ingest data, there's no vehicles. Like right now, I mean, we would have a really difficult time of knowing that other than ad hoc testing, um, but, I think that's something we want to get better about automating is like we for the same data to look at what the output is and have basically the the anomaly detection almost like pixels moved on the screen we should i mean right now we don't have this and it's more ad hoc but we i mean once we grow i, I really want to do this where every dependency we have we should have a way to track the the input and the output of the model and make sure that that's not changing just like you're saying that's so important if you 
if you figure out how to do that at scale, uh, then right, you earn every penny and a half <laughs> that you will get from the, selling this company, if ever that's your plan, right? The the so um, so not only do is it important to do anomaly detection against the streams, and in Alan, this is how I prevent it. Right, because uh, one of the things that happens is if if you find that your data is poisoned uh, in the way you described, um, in terms of how to react to it, 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 it's actually Alan's. It's your favorite answer. The answer is it depends. The answer to any sufficiently complex question is it depends, <laughs> which means my question was good. Yes. So. It, it, you have to, you have to then make a decision. Okay, do I fill in the blanks? Do I cut it off after after the data is recovered? Yeah. Do do I do a backfill? A lot of the times, backfill is not even possible. Like if mm -hmm. you're if you, if you're streaming data at a, like a ten minute cadence, and there's a data retention policy on the store for maybe two days, and you don't detect yeah. it for a week later, it's a lost cause. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we, were, um, we were literally just talking about backfill today with the product team of like, how do we want to handle this? Like, is it time-based backfill? Is it, I mean, different things. Of, I mean, do you want to backfill? Like what if you have, you're backfilling via different kind of views, do you want to overlap? And then you're kind of double backfilling data. And like, it's a, it gets complicated, but I mean, it's something we're actually going to release probably, I mean, definitely this quarter, but because it's, I mean, we have to have that. I mean, if somebody updates a model, I mean, we have to have some way to go back and do it. But but the other half of that is how do you avoid poison data? They release a crap model that's up and put in some stupid tag that they don't want anymore. Like we were just talking about like tag muting and tag disqualification and things like that. Because I think all of that is kind of mixed in um, because it, it's tied into the ML quality. Even then. So yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Right. What, what I'm more referring to is on the garbage inside mm -hmm. is essentially. So, for example, let's say let's say there's this column that normally has five uh, different options. Imagine it's a mm -hmm. column that expresses an enum. Right. And and then suddenly out of the blue, option four is uncommon. Mm -hmm. Right. Because not only do you have to do anomaly detection against the data set itself, but then potentially against every column and every volume or uh, value within the column. Yeah. yeah. Right. So anomaly detection goes, uh, just gets crazy really fast. And what drives, uh, so there's one feed that I operate today where my team merges in. I don't know, 50 different data sources all owned by different teams. And then um, then some random PM out of the blue says, hey, I did this, this random query that's important to me and no one else. And then I noticed there's this huge spike. What's the cause? <laughs> and, and the number of times during the day or during the week where I have to think through, look, my job is to host the data uh, I do not provide any data quality off of this thing. You're welcome. Like, if you want to use it, the risk is blah, 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 blah. Because I'm like, if I in open that door where I kind of go through and answer every one of these 
questions, that is all I'm going to do. Yeah, you kind of are ending up taking implicit ownership of it at that point, and then people are going to be coming to you to like guarantee the quality. So, right. Yeah. Well, no, no. So I mean, that one's that one's easy for me. Uh, you can come <laughs> to me. The answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. If if you don't like my data feed, then go. Then you are welcome to take it over or or build your own. Like, mm-hmm. and that's one team. Um, so one team wanted me to treat it like a 24 seven service. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, it, so one of the feeds I operate is really important to the, to the business, but the commitment that I've shared out with the business is, is relative correctness, directionally correct. Mm. Right. I'm like, yeah, I am not going to go through and, and, and try to denoise and, and make sure all my dependencies are, are trying to denoise themselves. Right. Yep. It's, that's, that's not my, that's not my primary job. My primary job is, is building data science assets and, and any place where this feed, where I rely on it, it's broken as it relates to the data science. Yeah. I'll fix that. Yeah. Right. Or if you can make an ROI statement, but the whole point there is it's so burdensome. And if anything like unstruct uh, can come out and, and even if they only take, take a 20% reduction of sort of the manual mm-hmm. intervention that I have to pay, then yeah. it's, then it's going to be, it's going to be worth it. Well, that's, that's one of the big areas that I'm, I, I see it happening in the structured data world. And I'm assuming it's going to happen in kind of our own structure world of the data quality and observability. Because like, what if, what if somebody's putting in a hundred thousand drone images and 1% of them don't have a proper lat long in the metadata? Because somehow that drone had a firmware glitch and wasn't writing that data in the metadata. Like literally there's zero chance of them finding it unless you can run like parse that data, show it on a map, or show reports or something like that. Or I have a, I have a set of like ten thousand test images that I got from some drones. Like 0.01 percent of them are black, and you would never know. It's a valid file. The file size, like you could sort of, I mean, and so that's the kind of layer. I think there's a ton of value in what we're doing as a data quality platform as well. Um, even just mm-hmm. looking not at it's a sort of a the flip side of search. Where it's like, hey, here's all this stuff, but what's all the weird edge stuff around the edges that like is almost not searchable just because it's all clustered together as like black or in zero 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 that long or something like that, or time is all at the minimum time time value. And and so I I've been I don't I don't I mean, not to slag them, but I, I don't think my PM team gets that part of it yet. And I'm trying to teach them about like, look, here I'm seeing this in the other part of the industry. I I, I feel like this is gonna be a big thing for us that we need to start thinking about this. And so I'm trying to like warm them up to the idea of like anomaly detection and data quality and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's more of a gut feel for me. We don't have no, no, data on it like yet. No, no, no. Uh, uh, so I'll validate it. It's absolutely, absolutely critical. Right? <laughs> okay. the, 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 so for example, one of the things that I'm doing is every data point I've taken to creating a new kind of metadata structure in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of your language, imagine Imagine tagging it, but with a data quality tag or in a data quality namespace yep. where, where you're highlighting. Um, so for example, I still produce a stream, but if I know, if, if I know deep down in the bowels that there is a, there is a table where a record is missing. 
Mm. Right. I'm going to high. I'm going to highlight in, in this, in this, it's basically in my, in my implementation, it's a JSON payload. Mm -hmm. I'm going to highlight that this is a, a, a sort of a warning, like the that metadata may not be complete on this one. Mm -hmm. And it's important because certain data science projects I'm working on can deal with noisy data. Mm -hmm. Others can't. And then this allows me to, to sort of pre-filter these things. I think you're absolutely right. Now, tagging it in terms of a context around how it's used, uh, that's going to be a hard problem. Yeah. Um, uh, we we map, I mean, so we're actually, we're using Cosmos DB today, Gremlin and the SQL, the JSON document store. So everything's kind of in this entity graph. And we have this concept of observations. And so we can, the observations could be a generic tag or it could be a person, place, or thing kind of, kind of entity. Mm -hmm. And so we, it's fully extensible in that way that, yeah, that's an interesting, we could have like a quality observation on that data that says like, oh yeah, here, like this is a way to then pivot on that and search for anomalies. I, I see that as something I want to get, it's, we're too early to like probably a quarter early to deal with it yet, but I think it's something, I have a feeling that's, that's going to be pretty interesting. I would tend to agree, right? In terms of, so here you're providing so it's the way I think of it, if you're doing knowledge management and you and you're helping people to clean up their man their their mm. knowledge, I think it's probably just as important as this is knowledge that may be risky to use or yeah. or you shouldn't use at all. Yeah. Or like, yeah, it's like almost orphaned or unlinked at some point. And it's funny, like I had a bug where so we have a graph view that we're using this great company, uh, Cambridge Intelligence. They have this really nice graph um, React component. And I put our like a bunch of data into it. And I was like, weird, what are all these satellites around the edges that aren't linked to everything else? And I realized that those are files that didn't get tagged. And so because it was like essentially creating this tag cluster. And it's weird because like I didn't realize like if something doesn't get tagged, it's not really a bug. Like it's not going to throw an exception anywhere. It's just going to be missing data. And so I was only able even to notice that I'd introduced this bug by seeing it visualized in the in the UI, you know. And so by seeing all that sort of satellite data that was unlinked, I was like, oh man, that's weird. And then I could like go back and debug it. But those are the kind of, I mean, that's essentially data quality, visual like visualization of data quality right there to look for like everything should be essentially linked to something else or at least a tag per se. Right. If, if it's if it's just orphan with nothing connected to it, that's a bug. That, that that's actually the principle uh, that I do, like because a lot of times you'll see data entry, let's say a data column will be empty, yeah, and I'm like, look, I don't want empties, or I want empty to mean one thing. If it, it's empty because the underlying source is empty, yeah. otherwise, if 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 it's empty because we couldn't find it, like we did a left. A left outer join or, or yeah. something along those lines. If it's empty in that case, then this thing better say missing or not found or something yeah. along those lines. Well, and uh, that's an area of, of just that context is, I mean, we, if we're running five ML models on something and each one maybe reports back like a different thing or why it, I mean, we, we store like confidence score and stuff like that, but maybe we had an error. I mean, we couldn't run the model because of some reason. Right now it's in the logs, but it's not in the graph. And so that that information of the why we could or couldn't do something might be something we want to track in in, the, in our actual graph and start to be like, oh, here's a cluster of issues 
of, oh, we couldn't run this model because it didn't have this blat long field or something like that or whatever it was. Or it was an image of a black image. And so the model just rejected it or something. So I don't know. There's, there's a ton of ideas that I have down. Once we kind of get, like we're just at the point now where we're building the graph system, the app. We just launched Azure Marketplace a month ago. But um, there's just a million ideas for where we can take this it's, it's, uh, as it grows. You're in the Azure Marketplace? Yeah. Uh, Br- Brent has to go look. Oh, Azure, for those of you that don't know, that's like AWS for GCP. They do cloud stuff. But cooler. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. Just, <laughs> I, 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 have to, I have to pick on Brent. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, my, it's funny. My my dev team, uh, for now, they're all AWS guys. So we were always like picking on each other about like uh, which is better. So, but then I, I spent all night the other night dealing with IAM rules in like Azure AD and all that. And now I'm like, I was kind of pissed at it for like about 24 hours. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I can. As relate. a current employee of Microsoft, I am just going to respond with uh, no, no comment. <laughs> I know. If you click it, I'll get a I'll I'll get a Slack message that somebody subscribed. So. Oh, okay. Uh, plan. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Then our marketing people will freak out. They'll be like, "Oh my God, somebody subscribed!" Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, all 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 uh, listeners, go to Azure Marketplace and subscribe, and let let let's freak out Kirk's marketing only, department. Yeah, only if you're actually going to use it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, see, yeah, we did. We're doing like a starter plan through the rest of the year. I mean, it's it, for us. It's there's just a lot of um, we're consumption based, so it's as more, more data you throw into us, pay more, and then uh, we're just kind of doing like a flat rate for the rest of the year as a starter. Yeah, I think the cool thing and being kind of where you are is you're solving a problem that you're solving an important problem. It looks like well that companies don't quite yet know they have. Yeah, which is kind of cool. It's. I mean, it, it's a like. I do a lot of investor discussions right now and it's like, it's hard. Like some of them just get it. They're like, Oh hell yeah. Like this is like the yeah. vision of the future. And other ones are like, eh, call me when you have cust- like more customers, more revenue. And, and I'm like, it, it really has to be a vision thing where like somebody really has to see where the market's going. And, and there's a subset of them that totally do and are just, and super jazzed about it. But uh, it's, I mean, I'd give it a year or two and now it's going to be, I mean, even literally just the last six months or something, I've been seeing it talked about a lot more. So I think the wave is starting to happen with this whole knowledge management play. Yeah, I, I believe it. De- definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I worked on Microsoft Teams, uh, my last org at Microsoft. And mm. one of the things I would say, like our, our VP really wanted to like, we're going to go against Slack. And, I, and like I said, no, what you, but, but it's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Because Teams is the collaboration tool for teams that don't know yet that they need a collaboration tool because it's just well, part because so many companies have Office 365. You know, Slack Slack is a tough learning curve for a lot of these non-tech companies to to get into. But if you can just take this thing that there's a couple of great things Teams does is it brings this collaboration and communication software to people that just Hey, you already have office you use this stuff, but here's the, this is going to sound like a little bit like a jab, but it's true. The back end like file storage for teams, this may have changed completely, but at the time it was SharePoint on the back end. And I, I said, almost sure. I just listened to a podcast literally about that topic. And they said it was, yeah, I think it's still SharePoint. So what's happened after, you know, a decade or more of <laughs> SharePoint is teams has made SharePoint usable. Yeah. And, and useful. So kind, kind of the, cool. One of the areas we're going to look at is do, I mean, because I've, I've, I was so surprised. I still, I was hearing from like 
aerial survey companies storing their data in SharePoint. And I was like, really? Like you're not even using an S3 bucket or something like that? Or like, it was just like, and I was, I, I was kind of surprised how prevalent it still was. And we're actually looking at doing a, um, a more direct Microsoft Graph API integration that we can start indexing all of that data better from directly from SharePoint. And I think that could end up being, a, I mean, a really interesting direction. You know, another thing I thought of, and I know we're over time here and I have to get going, but, 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 but it reminds me like before Teams, I worked on a science project and Xbox. And before that, I worked on uh, Link, which became Skype for Business. Yep. And yep. I remember a conversation way back then saying what we really want to do is, you know, I don't think we even knew what ML was. You know, we said, it'd be great if we had a way to analyze the text in a recorded meeting and make it searchable. <laughs> and now though, yeah, that's common place, whole, yeah. yeah, but it could get with, you know, show me, you know, got it. You want to go back and revisit how a decision was made. Imagine being able to yeah. structure that data from a hundred, like let's, let's find the evolution of this and see how we got from there to here. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually possible today, which is kind of cool. It's, I mean, I had somebody ask me, like, it was a, an investor, like, hey, could I dump my Zoom meetings into Unstruck and correlate back the companies that were discussed back to my CRM and make sure they're synced? Like, I've linked to the time I spoke about them and maybe linked to Crunchbase or linked to whatever, like, and those sort of things. And I was like, we almost can do that. Like, we're really damn close. Like, we're, I mean, if we have the right NLP to make sure we can get the right terms and, we, I mean, we, we can already import Zoom meetings today and we already can run that stuff. And then it's the data enrichment that's actually this next quarter is really focused on. Like, it's it, like we're pretty much there. Almost. And almost too, if I look at, like most companies, we do an engagement survey twice a year. You can almost get a better view of, like, you never know how it's going in between. You work on stuff, you hope it's better. You get the little report, you go, okay, we got better here or worse here. But there's, even from like an HR perspective, there's things like sentiment analysis or uh, engagement that you could actually derive from engagement in meetings, how people, yeah. the, the words they're using, the inflection. I was talking with somebody recently who used to work for a, comp a support company and they had ML in real time listening to their calls and like telling them, okay, you need to provide yeah. empathy now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's sick. That's cool. Yeah. Like we're on the edge of some really cool Almost yeah. weird sci-fi stuff happening, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, I, I, that takes to me. I mean, your story there takes me to a a, a ethics place. Yeah, it's on the edge, right? right? It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the uncanny valley of ML. Well, then, uh, then when you could start having avatars say the words instead. Because their conversations are driven by ML. Like that's where they probably want to go with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I realized when I talked to my daughter about it, she says, what do you do all day? I mainly talk to people and try and help them make better decisions. AI could totally do that for me. Right, Brent? Uh, so <laughs> that, that is actually how I pitch what my team's job is. Yeah. It, right. It wouldn't do it for you, Alan. It, the problem is it would do it instead of you, right? Mm. That's, that's where it potentially yeah. becomes an ethics thing. Right? Well, right. again, we've all seen, we know Skynet is coming. It's just a matter of when, and we see clues <laughs> all the time.
a joke aside, that's why I say I went to data science so that that machines, when the machines take over the world, they look back upon me with fondness. <laughs> All right. Well, Kirk, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I even picked up on most of the data stuff. I I know I have enough data knowledge to at least know what you're talking about. And I am super excited to see Brent on the cover of the new Hot Topic uh, catalog. That's going to be fantastic. Uh, that's one of my great takeaways. But um, any uh, any final words from you, Kirk? Anything else you want to share? Shout outs, uh, contact information, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody's interested in just chatting about this kind of data or, or the company or whatever, um, LinkedIn, great way to get a hold of me. Um, probably the best way to uh, to learn about War Oak, too. Cool. All right, then. Uh, Brent, anything from you? Hey, uh, Kirk, it's it's been fantastic. Thanks for joining today. We didn't know what, you know, I'll just be quite honest, like when, when, when I saw that, I'm like, are we really going to be spending time talking about data engineering? Really? And then, <laughs> and then I dove into it. I'm like, oh. No, this guy, and I get it. You, you're starting with a data engineering thing, but that's not really the space that you're in. You're in knowledge management. I, yeah. I like pleasantly surprising Brent sometimes. <laughs> I, but, I, but I get it because a lot of people, like the companies, they know they have a data engineering problem and they really have a knowledge management problem, but they don't really know it in those terms yeah, yet. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think the hardest thing for right now is like, I know the product, the product we need to build over the next like 18 months, but it's how to market it and make it click from a terminology standpoint is like the hardest part right now. Because I think getting, because people aren't thinking these words, these terms, when we can have a discussion with people and talk like this, they get it. They're like, oh shit, this is like really useful. But um, I think from a, for technologists and trying to get the, the marketing speak is, uh, is the hard part right now. But it's, I think, I think we're the, it's not even just us. I think just the market generally is moving this way. And I think it'll be interesting to see other, I mean, hopefully other companies just kind of make the visibility better, like relational. I mean, I think it's, it's great to see if, if we get more of those types of companies, um, it just makes the market for everybody. So. All right. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks Brent for being a pleasant co-host. I'll try not go to, Mariners. I'll try not to cut too much right. of what you say out of this podcast, Brent. All right. And right. Uh, go Mariners. You need all the, all the thoughts and prayers we can send. <laughs> All right. See you, everyone. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.